with God's word, open it to the book of Revelation, all the way at the back of your Bible, and find chapter 5. Today, I have the privilege of concluding our study of the five solas, five essential truths of the biblical message of salvation. And I hope today to answer a question that maybe some of you have had in your mind as we've gone through this series. So what? If these five solas really are essential truths of Christianity, how do they affect our lives today? Well, to answer that, we have to look at the fifth and final sola, which, because Latin is weird, is actually a soli. We end with soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. That's the cherry on top of the other four solas, the so what at the end of all those other truths. And it's the only logical conclusion to the great gospel of our salvation. To God alone belong all the glory forever and ever. Why? Because God has done it all. First, sola scriptura. Scripture alone means God's word. The Bible is the only infallible, authoritative source of truth for the Christian life. In other words, the gospel, the message of our salvation is revealed to us by God through his scripture alone. No priest, no pope, no other person, no other book has equal authority to God's written word. All Christian teaching must bow to scripture or it is not Christian teaching. And so it is God alone through his written word that has revealed to us the message of salvation. And so glory to God alone. Amen. Second, solus Christus, salvation is found in Christ alone. There is no other savior but Jesus Christ. As the son of God in the flesh, he is uniquely qualified to save sinners. His sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection are sufficient for our salvation. We can't do anything to save ourselves and there's nothing that we can do to add to what Christ has already finished on our behalf. God in Christ is the only Savior, so glory to God alone. Amen? Third, sola gratia. We are saved by God's grace alone. This is a free gift that we have done absolutely nothing to earn. I love the way it's said sometimes. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. God, in his grace, decided to save us even before the world was made simply because he loved us and it pleased him to save us. We're saved by his free grace alone. And so, glory to God alone. Amen? No need participation today. You get the idea. <laughs> Finally, sola fide. Salvation is received by faith alone. We come empty-handed to God to receive the free gift of salvation because our works could never be good enough. We have nothing to give God in exchange for salvation. We simply come to him humbled, poor, needy, spiritually bankrupt, and we cast ourselves upon his mercy. We believe his promises. We place our trust in Jesus and we rest our souls in the finished work of Christ. And because we trust him, we're free to live for him, not working for salvation, but working from the salvation that he's already provided. We receive this gift by faith alone, so we don't get the glory. We have no room for boasting. To God alone 
belong all the glory. Amen. And that's the gospel. We are saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, according to scripture alone, all to the glory of God alone. We can pretty much go home after that. Like, that's all the information we need, right? When you consider the first four solas, the fifth one is the only logical conclusion. When we recognize that God has done all the work, it only makes sense that God would receive all the glory. So this one really doesn't need a whole lot of defending if we believe those other solas. But church, this sola is different. It reads more like a command than just a statement of information. This is a command to give God the glory he deserves. And it's not just a nice little bow to tie up the other solas. It's arguably the sola, the central truth of the Bible, that in all things, God is to receive all the glory. I believe all of scripture is pointing to this. All of time and history is leading to this, the glory of God. The whole of creation exists for this purpose, to bring glory and honor to our great God. The whole of our salvation is for this purpose, to bring glory and honor to our God. Do you believe that this morning? That's what I want to show you in scripture today, that the chief end of everything is to bring glory and honor to God. And there's a lot of passages of scripture that we could look at for this, but today we're going to consider Revelation 5, just because it was fresh in my mind and I love it. Uh, so let me paint the scene for you here. Let me give you a little context. The Apostle John is writing this letter to the church in the midst of great persecution and suffering. The church is going through a hard time. And so maybe we wouldn't expect this letter to be full of praise and glory. But in Revelation 4, John sees something amazing. John sees God Almighty, God the Father, seated on the throne of heaven, reigning over all creation, sovereign over all persecution and suffering, clothed in majesty and splendor, angels and elders and fantastic creatures bowing down before him, casting down their golden crowns at his feet, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They cry out, he is worthy of worship because he is the creator of all things. And so Revelation 4 shows us all of heaven worshiping God simply because of who he is. And that brings us to our text today, Revelation 5, which is all about what he's done. So we're going to read this in three sections, starting at verse 1. John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So we have here, in the hand of God the Father, this mysterious scroll sealed with seven seals. And I don't know if it looked exactly like this, but I think I'm pretty close. I made this like really quickly this morning because I wanted us to have the right mental picture here, what kind of seal we're talking about. We're not talking about the animal or the singer. We're talking about seals like this. <laughs> Only like two people got that. 
Okay. <laughs> so this mysterious scroll sealed with seven seals, and seven in the Bible is often symbolic of perfection or completion. So this mysterious scroll is perfectly, completely sealed so that no one can open it. And so the question we've got to be asking here is, what's in this scroll, right? Well, if you keep reading Revelation, you'll see that these seven seals are broken, and the scroll is opened. And as each seal is broken, they set off a chain of end times events. They culminate with the end of time. And so it seems this scroll represents the unfolding of God's plans this scroll, as it's open, it brings all of time and history to its rightful end, to the redemptive, soul-saving, church-rescuing, sin-destroying, justice-serving, peacemaking conclusion that God has planned from the beginning. So do we see how important this scroll is? All of creation is groaning for this scroll to be opened. All of heaven is anticipating and longing for the seven seals to be broken for somebody, anybody, to open the scroll and finish the story. And so verse 2 asks the all-important question, who is worthy to open this scroll? Who is worthy? Who will have the honor of finishing this story that we're all living? Who is able to do it? Who's worthy and who's able to once and for all defeat and banish evil? Who is worthy? Who is able to make all things new? And verse 3 says, no one in all of heaven and earth was found who was able to finish the story. No one was found worthy and able to complete God's plan for creation. And so in verse 4, John rightly begins to weep because this is devastating. This is heartbreaking. All of creation is longing for this moment, and it looks like it's not going to happen. No one can finish the story. There is no hero to save the day. And John weeps. I don't know about you. Have you ever had those days where it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, you feel like you're living this story and there's no happy ending in sight. That's where John is in this moment. Who can finish this story? Who can bring the rightful end? And no one was found worthy. And John weeps. But let's keep reading, starting at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So just when it looks like no one is able to finish the story, the champion emerges on the scene. And there's this beautiful irony here, a contrast between what John hears and what he sees. He hears, weep no more, behold the lion, the root of David, 
has conquered. He can open the scroll. Sean hears, behold the lion, but he sees a lamb and one that looks like it has been slain. And yet this slaughtered lamb is standing. He's alive. And here's the beautiful, beautiful irony of the gospel. Jesus, the son of God and the son of David, is the lamb who was slain for our sins. But because he is the slaughtered lamb, he is also the conquering lion. It is through his death that he has defeated death. You know, on the cross, it looked like Jesus was being conquered. But in reality, Jesus was himself conquering on the cross. He was bearing the penalty for our sins so that there's no more wrath for us to bear. He bore our death so that he could give us his life. And death was swallowed up in victory. And so in this beautiful, ironic twist, the slaughtered lamb is the conquering lion. And the proof that he has conquered sin and death is this. The lamb that was slain is now standing. Praise God. Jesus is alive. And not only has he risen from the dead and defeated death for us, but because he has done this, he is now exalted over everything in heaven and on earth. And he's given the name above all names so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This question rings out in heaven. Who can finish the story? Who can bring all of history to its rightful, soul-satisfying, God-glorifying conclusion? Who is able to do this? Who is worthy to do this? And the answer comes, worthy is the lamb who is slain yet standing. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is able he is the champion who has come to finish our story. And you can almost see all of heaven holding its breath in anticipation as Jesus, the Lamb of God, approaches the throne and he takes the scroll that no one else was worthy to take out of the hand of his father. And so what happens when he does? All of heaven erupts in worship. Because they feel the weight of this moment, and they are astonished by it. I want to continue reading. Let's see how heaven worships the lamb who was slain yet risen. Let's pick up at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So how do they respond to the worth of the Lamb? As Jesus asserts his authority as Lord over all, and he takes the scroll to finish the story, how does heaven respond? First, they fall on their faces before him, bowing in reverence. Heaven is a place of humble worship. Next, they sing a new song. Do you know that heaven is a place filled with singing? And what do they sing about? Verse 9, they sing to Jesus that he's worthy to open the scroll because he was slain. And by his blood, he has ransomed people for God. He paid their debt. People from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we see the global mission of God here in this verse. And they sing, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. Guys, in heaven, they are singing about the gospel of our salvation, what God has done for us. And the worship swells and grows. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that countless thousands of angels join the song with a loud voice. Heaven is a place of loud singing. And again, they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Does that seem strange to you? that they're singing about the slain lamb in heaven? Someone asked me once, why do you always sing about Jesus' death? Well, because heaven sings about Jesus' death. His death is good news. It calls for celebration, amen? Do you see that? Why is it that the death of Christ is the theme of heaven's praises? It's because his death is his victory, not his defeat. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. The death of Jesus on the cross is his greatest triumph. And because of that, the angels cry out that he's worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13 and 14, the worship swells and grows again as all of creation join in the song of the redeemed saying to God on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And they all shout, Amen. Heaven is a place filled with loud amens. And so we see this idea of glory to God alone, filling all of creation, heaven and earth, resound with the glory of God and the glory of the Lamb who is slain yet standing. And this is just one of many places in scripture that show us this principle, soli deo gloria, to God alone, to Christ alone, belongs all the glory forever because of his finished work of salvation. He is worthy of glory, amen? But guys, here's the challenge for us. Do we really believe this? I mean, maybe this idea makes sense to us intellectually. Maybe we've got it straight in our heads. But do we believe this with all our hearts, that God in Christ is worthy of all glory? I'm convinced that most days we don't believe this. 
I'm convinced that this reality has not gripped our hearts enough because if we really believe that God is worthy of all the glory and honor and worship in all the universe from every tribe and tongue and nation, if we really believe that, it would turn our lives upside down. It would free us from casual, comfortable Christianity. First, it would transform the way we worship. You know, worship leaders are always asking, how do we get our people to sing? And to be honest, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of congregational singing. But at the end of the day, you know what I think is the number one hindrance to the church singing? It's that some days we don't believe the Lamb of God is worthy of our singing. I mean, if we really believe that, how could we ever be passive about worship? How could anyone keep from singing if we believe Jesus is worthy the way that heaven believes he's worthy? How could our prayers and our praises ever be cold? How could our hearts not burn within us? When you look at the worship of heaven, there's a gravity to it, a majesty to it, a volume to it. There's white-hot passion for Jesus, day and night, saints and angels and majestic creatures that we can't even fathom are falling on their faces before the king of kings. They cry out in a loud voice, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of pure joy and delight. There's wonder in heaven. And I wonder... Does our worship on earth look anything like that? I mean, what are we missing that we don't worship like that? Is it that we don't have the right kind of music? We're not singing the cool enough songs? I don't think that's it. I think it's what fuels the white hot worship of heaven is they see something that too often we don't see. They see the worth and glory of Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, who is risen. And that's why my heart as a pastor and as a worship leader is to show you again and again, to the best of my ability, the glory and the worth of Jesus in who he is and what he's done. And so I pray that God would just give us eyes to see that and hearts to believe that, that it would transform the way that we worship and I don't just mean the way that we sing, I mean the way we worship. Not just with our lips, but with our lives. And guys, if we could see and believe the worth of Jesus, it would also transform the way we evangelize. Evangelism is telling others the good news of Jesus. It's as simple as that. And if we could see and believe the worth of Jesus, it would transform the way we evangelize. I mean, we know in our heads that the mission of the church is to share the gospel and make disciples. We know that's why we're here, and we talk about it, and we pray for revival. But guys, everybody wants to see revival, but nobody wants to evangelize. And so many pastors are asking, how do we get our people out there sharing the gospel? What stops us? from sharing our faith with others. And I think we can talk all day long about strategies and techniques and overcoming obstacles, but at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Do we believe Jesus is worthy? 
We've got it in our heads, but do we have it in our hearts? Because I think if we really believe Jesus is worthy, we would stop at nothing. I think that's the missing puzzle piece in our evangelism, that we don't believe the gospel deeply enough. We need to set our minds on the gospel until it arrests our hearts and ignites our passion. Because worship is what drives our mission. I want to end with a quote from Pastor John Piper. He writes, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Guys, I believe if we can cultivate in this church a passion for the worship of Jesus, we will see revival. And so my prayer is that Soli Deo Gloria would become the passionate cry of every heart at Live Oak Church. I pray that we would come to see that principle of the Reformation as the great purpose of our lives. Glory to God alone. All glory to Jesus forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our lives. But God, we need to confess today that this truth has not fully gripped our hearts as it should. God, there's moments when we see it and we believe it, but so much of our time, so much of the time our vision is clouded, our hearts are distracted by all the cares of life. So often we're tempted to pursue other things first. And so God, I pray that you would help us to grow in a passion for your worship that you would change our hearts so that we would live for your glory. And God, help us to remind ourselves every day of the gospel. Help us to grow in our love for your word and for prayer, and for gathering together. Help us to encourage one another. I pray that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise and let, that you would help us to not be led by our feelings. So God, help us to seek you and praise you and live for you even when we don't feel like it, when we're tired, when we're busy, when we're distracted and burdened with other things. May we not follow our hearts. May we lead our hearts. Because even when we don't feel like it, you are worthy. Let all God's people say amen. As we enter into a time of response,